Sailor, I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Tuesday, June 25th. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We don't do prayers or buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at our history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. We may step on a few toes along the way, but our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We'll take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all right here from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But before I do, let uh, let me remind people that you can catch our show streaming audio on our website, which is www.letstalknative.com. You can uh, catch video of the show streaming live here on Facebook Live. Uh, and we share it on a variety of uh, Facebook group pages. We take the audio and we put it up on SoundCloud, and that puts it up on uh, uh, out as podcast. So you can catch our show on any of your, your favorite podcast platforms. We take the video of the show, and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. And there you can find not only videos of this show, but my show in New York City, as well as some of our short-form videos that we do. And um, many of the, the short-form videos in particular are on some very specific subjects, and they try to consolidate the information so you can really uh, get a hold of what we're talking about and maybe take pieces of it with you. So when you do find yourself in the conversation, you will be more equipped based on some of the data. And, of course, as always, I tell people, you know, Check out what, what we're talking about here. Uh, verify what uh, you know the things that we mentioned. The things that I put out there as facts, you make sure they're facts. I mean, uh, don't take my word for it. I hope that people do their own. Um, I, 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 hope, I hope people do some of their own research and verify the, the things that we're talking about. And, and today we're going to talk about something interesting. But let me, uh, again, I'm... John Kane, I am the, the host of Let's Talk Native. I'm assisted in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our video and our sound. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, part of what motive, or what I guess what gives me ideas for things to talk about here on the show has to do with conversations I have through the week. I not only, you know, post videos of the show, but I, you know, I travel. I do. I, in fact, I spoke at a, uh, at a conference, um, uh, in Pittsburgh this uh, this weekend, uh, but I also try to engage uh, with people on Facebook and on Twitter, and I post memes or I'll uh, I'll put something up there and then I'll offer a commentary. And look, not all of my comments are well received, and it, sometimes a spirited debate will come out of it. And one of those uh, d- debates uh, took place because I I talked about decolonization and. And I think perhaps people are getting the wrong idea about what I'm talking about when I say decolonization. Because decolonization is not this idea of uh, of scorching the earth and ridding us of everything that is that is modern or everything that is uh, you know that, that a white man ever put his laid his hands on. That's that's not what we're talking about here. We aren't talking about laying waste to 500 years of colonization. We are talking about untangling ourselves piece by piece, you know, dismantling the systems of oppression that, that affect us. We aren't talking about global domination. We aren't talking about, you know, trying to build a wall or isolating ourselves from anybody. But in, in those instances where we can find a, a, an opportunity to, uh, 
to remove some of the barriers that that stop us from developing economically, for instance, or um, from protecting our women or our children. We need to do some of those things ourselves and not use the systems around us. We can't use the tools of the oppressor to to break the bond uh, the bonds of, of oppression. I mean, it, it just it doesn't work that way. So even you know, even as people try to do good work and and you know they look for the next federal program that's gonna that's gonna help us develop economically or it's going to help us with better health care or you know cheaper medicines or, or or whatever the case may be. My, or, or it's going to help us with our dr- with the drug problem by getting more police in the area. Those systems don't work for them, and they sure as hell are going to work for us. So when I talk about decolonization, it, it's a process. It, it isn't an all or nothing proposition. A proposition. It's about taking the pieces that we can that the low hanging fruit first. I mean, there's clearly some things that in each one of our communities that we can do that makes the outside system either irrelevant or certainly not necessary to us. I know one of the first things that people say, well, our people aren't going to be able to give up federal programs. They depend on them. Well, if you want to understand how we end up in, 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 these, uh, in the situation of poverty, those programs are designed to perpetuate poverty. Now, it may sound like free money. It may sound like free lunch. But then you realize what that lunch is. And, and the lunch is causing diabetes. See, this is this is what I'm talking about. We need to begin the process where it's appropriate. And, and, not, and like I said, it's not an all or nothing proposition. We don't all have to, uh, to, to suddenly you know get rid of our you know our our wrangler jeans and our you know uh tommy hilfiger shirts i mean we don't that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about systems of oppression when we look at i mean i'll give you an example we we come out of the the residential school era which overlaps with this with this you know on the canadian side they call it the 60s scoop but it overlaps with with very oppressive foster care and adoption systems that strip children away from our our families not just for residential schools but strip them away and place them in the, in the in the families of 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 white people more affluent people so a big effort takes place to uh, to put some federal law in place Indian Child Welfare Act and that's supposed to ch- protect our children from uh from having our children taken away from our culture well, it turns out that's not working out so well. We, we've seen baby Jessica. We've seen these these case after case after case, and, and we also found how you know how crafty people can be uh, when they when they look to to grab children out of uh, on the Canadian side for adoption here, or on or they or, or or white folks in Canada look for native kids on on the American side for adoption there to bypass the the, the laws. And now we've got a a, um, a court in Texas that. Um, uh, where where the whole Indian Child Welfare Act is 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 being challenged because it's because it's being uh, uh, they're they're calling it racist. See, we need to do some of these things ourselves. We need to find out what systems work for us. And I don't mean mirror what they've got. There. I'm not saying let's create an agency that looks just like the federal government or the state government. Let's not create our own, our own CPS system that operates under the same guidelines. Let's come up some, with something that's that's uniquely us, that's that's uniquely Seneca or uniquely Ungwe Ungwe. Let's come up with, with solutions 
that are culturally appropriate. It doesn't make it just more culturally appropriate because we, we you know, we take their system and, and and put a native logo on the front of it. See, this is where we've got it. This is what this is what I'm talking about when I talk about decolonization. Decolonization starts here in the mind. That's where it begins. First, we have to realize that we have the right and the obligation to um, again. It's, it, oh, it sounds all flowery when we talk about oh, seven generations. But what does it mean? What does it mean to say that? It means that we have an obligation to those children that we will never see in our lifetimes. Oh, clearly we have an obligation to our own children. And we can find some short-term fixes for the uh, for the problems that our kids encounter. But those short-term fixes oftentimes have long-term consequences. Uh, you know, when when somebody decided that uh, that it made more sense for for the white man to educate our kids, well, maybe in, in many ways that seemed like a like a reasonable proposition. Well, they know a lot more about education, or do they? So now we've got our kids indoctrinated, learning to pledge to the flag from at five years old and, and sing the Star Spangled Banner. The, uh, the first thing they do when they go to school, learning a history that's false, and 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 learning about their government and nothing about ours learning a learning a language that uh you know frankly doesn't even has no correlation to ours so we have to rethink what what we're doing here we have to think about the the systems that we're that we're we're, we're employing and deploying uh, on our own people so again when i'm talking about decolonization look there was a whole era when the when the united nations you know first got its feet underneath uh, under themselves coming out of world war ii they began to look at this notion of um of undoing some of that colonial era where you had all of these countries that were became the colonies of of these european nations or american nations or you know or, or whatever else they started looking at well how does india become an independent state again how do countries in africa how do countries in south america but you know what Nobody touched anything that the United States grabbed a hold of. The United States had gobbled up the Philippines and and waged war on them. Well, the Philippines did get their independence. But now after the United States killed half a million, maybe a million of them, and nobody talks about that. They don't talk about how the United States took over Hawaii or took over Puerto Rico. And leaving the people who were originally from there oftentimes living in abject poverty as the wealthy white people moved to these places and treat and, and enjoyed the tropical paradises that the United States had just uh, had acquired. But through all of that that UN effort for decolonization and independence of these uh, of these colonial states, we were never even we were never even considered. Hawaii was briefly, but then the United States lied to the international community said, oh no that's a, that's that's settled law. The Hawaiians all wanted to be. Uh, not only did they, did they accept, uh, you know, being an American colony, but they they voted overwhelmingly to become a, a, a you know a state of the United States, which was a lie. And the rest of the, the international community just said, "Okay, okay, we'll leave you alone," as they you know as they did everything they could to to, to uh, unravel the the British colonies and and so many other uh, other colonies throughout the uh, the world that were became subject to this imperialism from uh, from Europe and from the United States, but they never touched the United States. But what we're talking about here with decolonization is not 
an international movement. We aren't asking somebody else to decolonize us or to grant us independence. We're not saying that. We have to have it in our own mind that we have the right to be that first. Once we have it sorted out that we have the right to be an independent people and that we have the, um, you know, frankly, we have, we have a culture, we have systems, we have all these things in place that if we dusted them off, figured out how we apply it to, to you know, our current geography, our current population, and the world around us. Look, I'm not, I'm not suggesting we live in a vacuum here. You know, we can't talk about um, living uh, in harmony with the environment if we're going to pretend that that the United States isn't part of the environment around us. White people aren't, uh, you know, immigration and refugees and you know all of this climate change. We can't ignore all that stuff. We have to plug ourselves into not only a conversation but programs and strategies to deal with these things. So, where do we begin? Well, I, you know, again, I think we, we start with the easier things. Well, not just easier things. I think we, we can't ignore the critical things. Obviously, people think about the, the opioid uh, problem that, that, that exists. And, and I'm not suggesting we should ignore that stuff because it's hard. But, you know, and I've talked about this on previous shows, there are, there are three issues, uh, you know, associated with, um, uh, with, with the, that, that whole, that specific addiction problem. We have, um, those who are currently addicted uh we have dealers and sometimes those dealers are the addicted sometimes those dealers are dealing because of their addiction but we also have another group the ones who aren't there yet that are right there on the precipice now i'm not suggesting we we ignore those who need treatment or or those who need to you know be scrutinized for their uh for what they're doing to our communities by by dealing drugs and that kind of stuff dealing with uh with heroin and um and fentanyl and all that other stuff but we we better make sure we close the pipeline you know to as the the human pipeline uh, as far as people who are are, who are becoming uh addicted or who are contemplating you know being the first time user obviously you know when we talk about dealers you know the first thing people say well the biggest dealers in our territory are the pharmacies indian health service well yeah there's some truth to that but that is a different that is a different animal than dealing with uh um with the street crime of 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 selling heroin and, and fentanyl but we do as parents we need to make sure that we are very very cognizant about what what prescriptions whether it's a, a a clinic or uh, on our territory or off our territory we 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 have to be more um more aware and we should avoid being in a situation where not only are uh, pain meds that are addictive uh, that that we uh, apply a, an awful lot of scrutiny to that but that that we become very careful and make sure that 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 neither ourselves or our children get in a situation to abuse us i mean i've i've heard horror stories of people who got a wisdom tooth out and then and end up with you know with a bunch of oxycontins to um uh you know for the pain i mean i i don't know that that's necessary so i think we you know we have to place a high priority on those who might be at risk to becoming uh um a user not just an addict but a user 
Now, and that's that's not police. That's not you know programs that are out there. That's what we, what we need to do as a community. And, and a lot of these things that we talk about, when I when I talk about decolonization, the first thing that we have to decide. Not are we one of their colonies, but are we one of our communities? Are we a community? So, I mean, look, if the word decolonization scares you, then I, I got to ask what you're scared of. Are you, are you afraid you know, to, to unravel some of those systems of oppression? Look, I know some of them come with a, with a paycheck. I mean, hell, half the reason you know, that, that people vie for this federal recognition why would you want, why would a a a group of native people who already know what their identity is want to be recognized as a tribe band or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States a tribe band or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States why would they want that you know when uh, when obama tried to push this through for the hawaiians you know what the hawaiians said hell no we don't we don't want to become a tribe a band or nation of indians subordinate to the laws of the united states we want our kingdom back. We want to assert our independence. Well, there were some folks out in Hawaii, though, who saw that there was some money involved and, and that maybe this is the, is the way to get some federal funds. And frankly, that's that's why many Native peoples who pursue federal recognition, why they do it. They do it for, for money, and they also do it for the power. Uh, this played out with the Cayuga mess. It played out with the Oneida mess. That federal recognition quashes any uh, any resistance to quote unquote leadership. The federal government they give the stamp of approval, and whoever they deem, and however they do it, is the leader has both the power of the federal government behind them. <laughs> of course, that doesn't mean that they have the same power as the federal government. They just have the support of the federal government. They're going to be as oppressed as anybody. But at the same time, they're going to get paid. They're, they're going to have money thrown their way. They're going to have programs come their way. And with every one of those programs comes another layer of, um, of rules, regulation, uh, and control by both the state and the federal government. Now, you know, I'll give you an example. <laughs> a program the Seneca Nation was trying to do last year, for a summer program for the, for the kids. Because it was a federal program that, that was funding it, one of the requirements were that that any of the boys who were going to participate in this program who were over 18 years old had to have registered for the draft. Think about it. Let that settle in. I mean, the Senate Nation had ended up... They, once they, uh, it was all brought to their attention, and, and the reason it was brought to their attention was because it got posted on a Facebook page. And now all of a sudden it says, wait a minute, we're not, gonna, we're not submitting our kids to the draft. So they had to strip away, you know, part part of the program. But see, that's the kind of things that that's attached to these things. There's also tax implication. There's reporting implication. There's all kinds of things. So we need to be be wary. Now, look, I know a whole lot of people say, "Yeah, but there's some really good programs out there." And and, and I've also heard plenty of people say, "Well, I think the solution to, to solving our problem is the first thing we need to do is is form a five hundred one c three let's form a not-for-profit corporation well i gotta tell you that hasn't always worked out very well either because some of the reporting requirements and that kind of stuff the rules and regulations associated with that look 
that's using their system again. That's not that's not stripping away their systems of oppression. That's using a whole different system of oppression. Their 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 IRS code. So this is what I'm suggesting with decolonization. And maybe other people have different ideas. I mean, I, I suggest that that decolonization is not an all or nothing proposition. It's not like we've got to you know build a wall around our our communities and say, okay, we we are shutting off the world that's not what i'm talking about about the decolonization that wasn't the way we were in the first place (laughs) might have been part of the problem but that's not the way we were in the beginning we need to understand who we are we need to we need a a strong dosage of uh of a reality check and an identity check because if we're going to maintain ourselves as native people as as real people real human beings we better find out what that means. Now, like I said, I, you know, we shouldn't shy away from the real difficult stuff, especially if it's urgent. Missing and murdered indigenous women? Look, I don't think we should defer that. To, uh, look, it's great to do a commission in Canada. It's great to do a study here and do you know do hearings here, maybe some truth and reconciliation or whatever people want to talk about. But at the end of the day, we have to decide what we are going to do about it. Not what we want the federal government to do about it. Not what we want the state government to do. Look, they've already got laws that that are supposed to prevent violence against women. They just don't follow them. They just don't enforce them on our territories. I mean, when I see our people get get all jazzed up, oh, we're going to fight for stronger legislation. The last legislation was strong enough, and it didn't do a goddamn thing. So we need to figure out what we're going to do. And, and, And I talked about this before. If our brother is beating, if your brother is beating the hell out of his wife, you can't ignore that just because he's your brother. If it's your buddy who does it, abuses his, his wife or his, uh, you know the mother of his children or and his children, but you say, yeah, but he's really a nice guy. He only gets that way when he's drinking. Oh yeah, well, what do you do with this guy? Well, we go drinking. Well, there you go. We need to be responsible for ourselves and for each other. We need to be responsible to each other. That's what a community is, folks. See, we've gotten all this, you know, we we all got caught up in all this, you know, freedom stuff that, uh, you know, that, that gets talked about and understanding that, that we're trying to express freedom at the, at the expense of other people. We're saying our private, our privacy is so important. My, you know, what I, what I do in my home is, is only my business. Well, no. I'm sorry, and and this may sound absurd to some people, but it's it's not just your own it's not your own business, it's all of our business. If you're beating the hell out of your wife and your children are seeing that, there's a good chance that my daughter or my granddaughter may end up in a relationship with your uh, with your grandson or your son, who's witnessed this his whole life. And what do you think is going to happen in in their relationship? What do you think is acceptable? Look, opiates aren't the only uh, addiction problem we have in our territory. We've had alcohol that has plagued our people for hundreds of years. And just like the opiate addiction, the alcohol alcoholism wasn't an accident. You know what? We don't make alcohol. We don't have moonshine. We, you know, you know, we, you know, we're not like the Duke boys, uh, you know, or Hazard County. You know, a uh, uh, smuggling, uh, uh, you know, moonshine uh, back and forth from reservation to reservation. 
No, that wasn't even a business we were into. But you know what? Plenty of alcohol made it to our territories. Think about that uh, the little town of Red Clay, just outside of Pine Ridge, I think it is, that had some ungodly amount of beer sales. And it's in the middle of freaking nowhere. That was set up specifically to sell alcohol to the Native people. When it came time to, to um, negotiate treaties, the federal government earned, uh, learned early on that if they requisitioned wagon loads of rum or whiskey, they could, uh, they, man, they could loosen up folks on uh, putting their X on that paper. Treaty negotiations included the requisition of alcohol. That was just the way, that was their, their modus operandi. That's how they operated. The fact that we had alcohol problems on our territory, that wasn't by accident. That was no different than crack cocaine being introduced into the black communities. It was intentional. No no better way to, to destroy a family than, uh, than add, add alcohol. And now we have some say in the matter. Now it, it isn't just that we've got, you know, white man pushing on us. We're, we're doing it to ourselves. I, I remember having a conversation one day with somebody who says, well, drinking is a part of being native. I'm sorry, that's just plain bullshit. Sorry. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. And if it's become that, then that's, and, and, and if, it's come, if it's become that and we don't see that as a problem, then, then that's just sad. We need to be more responsible. And, and of course, we can't just say, okay, we got to take the drugs away, we got to take the alcohol away. We got to say, but what, what are we putting in its place? We have to uh, improve the quality of our lives. Now, and that just doesn't mean throw money. That doesn't mean, well, let's find a federal program that'll throw money our way. That's not how you improve the quality of your life. Look, for, you know, it used to be the second you stepped on a native territory, you could tell because the, the, the housing was terrible. It was trailers. Oftentimes they were old FEMA trailers or, or trailers that have been discarded that somebody revamped. And there's nothing wrong with living, living in a mobile home. But they don't hold up. They don't hold up. And they are designed to be um, discardable, to be, you know, temporary. They're they're not permanent homes, but I'll tell you, you could still go through a lot of native territories and find people living in trailers that are 30, 40, 50 years old still today. So we, we need to look at housing and, and we don't have to make McMansions. We don't need to have a HUD program. We don't need to copy what they did out there. We need to rethink what a home is. I'm encouraged by the the tiny home movement. I'm in fact I'm working on a project at at my own place. Not because I need a tiny home, but I want to build one. Because we have to rethink about what the home is for. Hey, you don't have to go back that far in history when we were raising, you know, mom, dad and five kids in in a, in a one-room cabin. I I know it sounds quaint, sounds like a TV show. No. That's a, that's the the truth. So the whole idea of building a tiny home that's ergonomic, that, that that's energy efficient, that's low cost to, to not only get into, but to maintain. So that doesn't be the priority. I mean, this whole notion that, oh, the home is the biggest investment you'll ever make. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the way it is out there for white folks because they buy and sell land like it's, uh, you know, like it's a commodity. That's not what we do on our territories. 
So we have to have a different mindset for this stuff. Look, I just blew past the bottom of the hour. So we'll, uh, well, I guess we, we got a five minute late start. So, so we'll, we'll take a break here and we'll come back. And, and I want to get, I, I want to go farther with some of this. I, cause I want people to understand we aren't talking about blowing anything up. We're talking about untangling, dismantling, lifting off, you know, lifting those cards off the house of cards, not just blowing it up. All right. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We'll be right back. Now you say you're sorry It's not what you say It's what you do Tell us you'll do better But it's hard to believe in you The day has finally come Told the world That you were wrong Far too many Have passed on now When it's sorry
All right. Thanks for coming back. I'm John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Uh, before I get going uh, back on, on the subject of decolonization, let me go ahead and thank our sponsors. Let's Talk Native is sponsored by Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses, Eric White and ERW Enterprises. And uh, another sponsor who chooses to become uh, remain anonymous, I guess. Um, but we could use more. Uh, as you can see, we're, we are enhancing the, uh, um, the product that we're trying to deliver here. Uh, we're trying to do more with our videos. We're trying to do more with what we're doing here in studio. We, we added our, our uh, uh, a big uh, flat screen behind us uh, uh, to not only you know give us better messaging, but also as we bring people on, we can bring people on uh, via video and uh, run a run a couple of videos during the show and that kind of thing. So, um, so we need your help. We need people to to make contributions. I am greatly appreciative of those who provide us that consistent week in week out, uh, you know, monthly uh, kind of support. But you know what, if, if if you're looking, you find yourself with a little extra cash, and you want to make a contribution to something meaningful and worthwhile. Don't forget, uh, don't forget. Let's talk native and the work that we do here. We are um, um, entering our tenth year uh, next month. I, I think we will begin our tenth year of Let's Talk Native. That's a long time for doing something like this. And you know, we've gone from doing a one-hour show to a two-hour show, and now we do two uh, one-hour shows per week. I do a show in New York. Been doing that for for over five years, for four years. Um, uh, a show of my own. Um, so three shows a week, three shows a week to provide content. And while you know, look, sometimes we do reiterate some things, uh, re- repeat some things, but we try to do a unique show every single every single show. You know, we bring in guests, we bring in um, you know callers, uh, people in studio, uh, and. And look, some sometimes it's a little controversial, and but but again, this is uh, this is the work that we do here, and and I and I got to thank those who do support us, and uh, and hope that more will step up. Uh, look, I also want to thank those of you who share the show. My wife, in particular, who shares the show on uh, on a lot of the Facebook uh, pages. Um, uh, I I want to thank those of you who, who uh, are administrators on those pages to allow us to uh, to share this program and some of our like i said our short form videos um uh, again that's that's the way we um promote a conversation you know the things that i'm talking about here today for instance uh, you know, look had i not had a bit of a, an exchange with somebody um about decolonization and, and the assumption was that i'm saying strip away anything that we're receiving from the federal government and you know and and do it in one fell swoop that's not what we're talking about here Look, there are communities, Gunyonga comes to mind, that receives no federal funding. And you know what they do? They make sure they find a funding source or create a revenue stream before they do something. What a unique idea. You know, we live in a world now where, where people operate in debt all the time. And, and when we find out that the only way to, to get ourselves out of debt is, to, is, is, is a government handout, then that's... We're, we're putting ourselves in that situation. Now, one thing I got to say, the reason so many Native territories are dependent on the federal government is because of what the federal government has done to those people, done to our people, <clears throat> destroyed our economies. They, they not, I don't mean just destroyed our Buffalo economy. <clears throat> I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about the economies, every, every economic opportunity we endeavor <clears throat> to get involved with. 
The federal government's there to try to stop us. They try to tax us. They try to regulate us. I mean, Native people got involved in gaming. So what's the United States do? They passed the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. Puts the state in our back, uh, on our backs. And we just let it happen. So when I talk about decolonization, I'm saying let's begin to distance ourselves. from Seneca Nation, stop paying the state. I know you already did stop paying this day, but but don't reconsider another revenue sharing agreement with them. Why would you want to get back in that situation? And in fact, to the extent that the state through the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act has some regulatory um, role on your gaming, minimize it, strip them away, have them involved in less and less, and at some point we get to the place where we don't where we don't have them at all. You know, part of look, and I've talked to people over the years who, you know, who, you know, when we talk about stripping away the systems of oppression, oftentimes those systems of oppression are the tribal governments, the ones that are that only have their power not from the the will of the people, but, but from the federal government. And we see that we see it in Cuyuga, we see it in in Oneida, we've seen it in a lot of places where the federal government grants the power. You know, where we're talking about Dick Wilson out in Oglala. Uh, look, there's example after example of this. We don't need to... Uh, one of the ways to deal with the abuse of authority is to not give it in the first place and and or to take it back. And, and one of the ways to take it back, again, I'm not talking about, you know, a violent overthrow. If you live in a, com- in a community and, and you you honestly believe that you're your governing system is is corrupt and uh, and is not providing you the services that you need then band together with enough people and provide the services yourself make them irrelevant i, I remember having a conversation a young young man a number of years ago said why don't we just take these uh, take this tribal council out i said why don't you make them irrelevant before you take them out you better you better find out what they do do yeah you, look you know what they you may know what they're not doing but they may be providing a service, and 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 to my uh, argument this uh, this week, some people are dependent on uh, on these tribal councils and the, and these government services that uh, that they administer. No matter how oppressive it is, the, people still come become dependent on it. So, the solution is to peck away, not just to to you know to overthrow, but to make them irrelevant. I mean, and you know, there there's small examples. I mean, and and we, I've talked about them in the past. I mean, look, if you've got a snowplow in the front of your truck, you you can just plow your neighbor's driveway. You don't you don't need to, you know, only plow your driveway and and say, well, the the nation's going to plow their driveway, because maybe they won't. There are things that we can do with each other for each other. Instead of saying, well, it's not my job. I mean, and look, and that can include everything from teaching the language to maybe throw a couple of extra rows of, uh, you know, of tomatoes in your garden because you know your neighbor could use them. Look, there are a lot of things that we could do. I mean, um, I like the, the idea of t- tiny homes because I think we could cr- recreate the sense of, uh, of community by not creating these little castles that we that we lodge ourselves into and only come out when when we have to 
that we look at our home as a comfortable place to seek shelter from the from you know from the rain and the storm and the winters but that we live in the community we enjoy the outdoor space we in, we interact with each other you know i see i see residential um uh complexes built without a single playground in it i i drove by this one down in allegheny and all the houses look somewhat the same and almost every one of the houses had a swing set in the backyard you know, crappy little swing sets. Oh, some had nice swing sets, and and a bunch of them had uh, had a you know little four foot wall above ground pool in the backyard. So you see, all of those people had their own play, their own little swing set, their own little swimming pool. Instead of why doesn't that community have a playground? You know, I'm not saying it's got to have a you know you know a hundred thousand dollar pool in it. But you could at least have a you know a cooling station, a, a waiting pool, or something. You could have a playground, a, a decent swing set. You could have the kind of things that that, they, that our kids interact, and it brings the parents out to interact. So we aren't just putting a fence around our backyard. That's not our way. How can we build a community if we don't have any interaction with our neighbors? We aren't we aren't building communities. That's the problem. We're building houses. We're building residential areas. But we don't even think about, and then we what, use a lottery system to see who's going to get the house. I mean, you don't have any, you may not even know the person that, that moves in next door. There's no sense, okay, well, do they have kids? You know, we have kids. I mean, I mean, there should be a better sense for, for how, a, how a community normally builds. Families extend. So we have, we have to rethink what, what, our, what, are, what does our home and our community look like? We've got to rethink how we educate our children. I, I mean, we, we really have to give, give some, and I'm not just saying build our own schools. I mean, that's, that's, that's an option. But I don't want to educate our kids just like they educate their kids because that's not working. The United States is like 33rd in, uh, you know, ranked 33rd in education. Terrible as, a, as, a, uh, as it relates to other countries when it comes to the, the, the STEM fields. I mean, so we, we, have, a, we have a generation that's great at, at uh, typing on their, on their phone messaging you know instagram facebook but we don't even think about well, well what could be the most effective use of that we we have to we have to rethink all of this stuff that's what decolonization so the again decolonization starts in the mind and we come up with ideas that don't look for a new federal program look do does every project need some need some capital yeah probably well most of them not all of them so you figure out, okay, well, how do how do you raise some money to do this program? You know, I'm, I'm working with a friend of mine. We're we're gonna um, we're we're working to to address the missing and murdered Indigenous women issue, not solve it, but to help not only create a network but connect some of the networks that are already out there, and make sure that we we post when somebody is missing, and we post when and we do follow ups so when people know when they're found. We, we 
and not just I mean it doesn't do any good for me to post on Facebook somebody's missing in Winnipeg if I don't know anybody in Winnipeg to reach out to. So these are the kinds of things that that we have to have to rethink. You know, uh, we, we played uh, not only fourteen ninety two, uh, who found who, Mary Porter's uh, song, uh, really kind of just asking the question and addressing the absurdity, you know, of of being discovered, right? And then that discovery leads to the colonization that we're trying to address with with decolonization today. During the break, I played um, uh, "When Is Sorry Enough." That song was written as a direct response to the Canadian government doing a truth and reconciliation commission on the residential schools. And the United, and, and Canada said they were sorry. <laughs> you know, and the report came out and the report had some, you know, some good information and, uh, and there was some truth. Um, and they include the word genocide in describing the, uh, the residential schools. Unfortunately, they felt like genocide by itself might... Maybe they thought it was too strong a word. So they, they softened it a little bit. They put cultural in front of it. They said the residential schools represented cultural genocide. I'm sorry. There is no such thing as cultural genocide. Genocide is genocide. If you utilize... If you strip away somebody's culture, that is still genocide. It's not cultural genocide. It's genocide. If you create the conditions where people cease to exist, that's genocide. And, and if you do it by killing them, if you do it by stripping their, killed, their, their children out of their homes and, and indoctrinating them to a, to a completely different way of thinking, that's genocide. If you sterilize women, that's genocide. If you, uh, if you outlaw ceremony and language and all of this other thing, that's genocide. It's not cultural genocide. It's not sexual genocide. It's genocide. Now, but but I will say at least Canada. Although I'm not, I wasn't happy with the uh, with the final report, and I'm even less happy with you know just throwing some money at the issue. You know, we talked about last show about reparations. Well, I'll tell you what reparations are. Decolonization is reparations. How can we begin? to strip away the power and control that Canada and the United States has has on our on our people. That's reparation. That's repairing the damage. So Canada does a, 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 a commission and they had a bunch of people addressing missing and murdered indigenous women. And again, look, there was some good work done. There was a lot of frustration that went into it. I know some people who bailed on it, but I was just listening to an interview that Pam Palmer had um, um, uh, with a guest talking about some of the strong language that came out of the report and that kind of stuff. And they they invoked the word genocide as well. I'm, I don't fully grasp um, characterizing the missing and murdered indigenous women issue as genocide. And, and I know I'm, I'm probably pissing people off saying that, but um, I think committing crimes against women uh, is obviously heinous. It's it's a heinous act, but genocide is when you create the conditions that people will cease to exist. And, and so I don't want to I don't want to mince those words. But the question about the report is 
what happens now? And of course, you can't ignore that we have, there were residential schools on the U.S. side, and there are missing and murdered indigenous women on the U.S. side. And in fact, it's oftentimes, you know, the, the multinational corporation, the white supremacy and um, uh, white privilege that, that lies at the foundation, that, and that crosses the border. That lies at the foundation of these problems, not only with, with you know, what took place with residential schools, but what, what's happening to, uh, to our women. And we have to own some of that because while 70 to 80% of the violence against our women is from non-native perpetrators, that still means that 20 to 30% of our uh, native people. It gets back to the, comment, uh, the, the conversation I had earlier. We can't look the other way to abusive men or abusive boys. We can't victim shame. And we can't say that some woman deserved to be beaten or raped. We, we have to be responsible ourselves. But we also have to realize that the only way to raise the quality of life is to empower people and, and to give them hope for the future. We can't just, you know, you know, have our kids raised in 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 poverty or you know or you know deprivation of this or that the other thing. Look, look, they they've got cell phones, they've got the computers. They they know what the what's going on in the world, but they also know if they, if, if if they're staring at you know uh, a water stained wall that has a blanket hanging up over the window. And that's all they're, and and that's their life, for the first thirteen years of their lives. They're going to become desperate to do something different, and that the choices that are made out of desperation are not always good choices. We've got to we've we've got to provide opportunities for for our young people. You know, look, and I, and I hate to write off the addicted or the uh, the uh, the aged or you know, you know, or, or anybody else. And I'm not saying that we need to to write them off. But when I talk about untangling ourselves from the systems of oppression, one of the ways we do it is is to stop the pipeline of oppression that that's affecting our young people. Don't let's not let our kids grow to be addicted to the not just the substances but the federal programs let's create something different and and again we don't have to create everything every aspect of our lives we can peck away look all of a sudden the 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 world has a, has a, a new concept uh, you know uber and lyft and uh, ride sharing why can't we be more uh, conscientious about making sure that in any given community that transportation is not a problem that somebody is available always even in a remote area to give somebody a ride to the doctor to the dentist to you know uh, wherever they've got to go it doesn't have to be uber or lyft we can create something that's unique to our own our own territories. How we make sure? Look, not everybody needs to have a car. In fact, we should be we we shouldn't even 
that's not even the way we should look at it. We, we shouldn't be aspiring to have three cars in our driveways. There's nothing wrong with living in, a, living in a household that doesn't have a vehicle. As long as you can get to where you need to go, who needs that expense? We don't need to have an $800 mortgage or you know $1,600 mortgage and a $400 car payment. If we can't rethink how we live our lives in a way that we, we, we start to adjust it so the quality of our lives are not just being measured by an income statement. Then we begin to measure the quality of our lives with some sort of happiness quotient. That we enjoy each other. That we laugh. You know, that we enjoy not just our children, but each other's children. We, we need to change the way we are viewing our identities and, and our lives. Because what we've done is we've modeled our lives after a system that is not ours. And then, when so when we talk about something like decolonization, it does, it scares the crap out of people. I don't want to lose this. And I'll tell you, and I talk about this all the time. We need to take care of our own. And I'm not saying that we, we don't help other people. But signing up your sons and daughters to the U.S. military or the Canadian military isn't helping others. Those, the, militaries, these, this military-industrial complex is not about defense anymore. It's about asserting control and power throughout the globe. The United States, either military isn't about defending the United States. Oh, they'll say, well, U.S. interests. Well, what are your U.S. interests? Every place. The United States is interested in every place. So something happens in the Strait of Hormuz. Oh, that's the United States. They got to defend the U.S. interests. Why is it, does the United States have to have a have military presence to defend their interest over the entire globe? It's because the United States has has the desire, and they're not the only ones. China, Russia, others. They all want a stake of the global domination uh, you know, game. We should not be party to that. You know, I spoke in Pittsburgh today and I had to remind people that Muhammad Ali, he's the one who said, there's no reason that this black man should go kill the yellow man for the white man who stole the land from the, uh, stole the land from the red man. He said, he said, you're my opposer. He's, I'll stand and fight you. I don't need to go kill black little babies in Vietnam. That's what that's what Muhammad Ali said. As our people are lining up, volunteering, enlisting on their own, not just being drafted. And it wasn't because he was Muslim. It was because he was black. And he could not justify why a black man should be defending a white, uh, be a part of a white man's army. Knowing what that white man's army has done, not only not only what that white man has done to black men, but what the army has done to native people, what the army has done to other people around the world. So I'll tell you, one part of decolonization, 
one part of decolonizing our minds we gotta stop looking at I mean, when I hear people say well you know send join the military that'll make a man out of him how how does that happen to be ridiculed and be, be broken down so you can be turned into 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 a pawn or somebody's for somebody's war games that makes a man out of somebody bullshit men were destroyed they come back broken if they come back at all they go there to destroy other men don't tell me joining the military makes a man out of somebody or teachers responsibility discipline yeah it teaches you how to be disciplined so we don't need to fear decolonization we get to choose we get to choose what we dismantle we get to choose what we entangle ourselves from look the goal should be ultimate you know it should be and there should be an ultimate goal but how we get there there's no time frame we can get there when we get there but we should begin the process and look if you can't get your so-called tribal officials to go along with that then make them irrelevant make that make them be a part of the decolonization because you're going to strip them away as well they can either be a part of the pro- uh, the solution or they can be part of the problem and you know and some are both so again for those people saying oh we, we shouldn't even be talking about decolonization because our people aren't ready <laughs> if we don't begin the process we'll never be ready especially when that that process starts here well folks i want to thank you for, for listening look uh, i am going to new york this week i, got, I have jeff doreen and laura kuji who are joining me on my show in new york that's uh, thursday at four o'clock you can listen to us on wbai.org wbai.org we, if you're in the city, we are at WBAI FM 99.5. Uh, so not only will Laura and Jeff join me on my show Thursday at 4 p.m., uh, but we will be doing uh, uh, an event, a performance uh, at the Brooklyn Commons that evening at 388 Atlantic, 388 Atlantic Avenue. That's the Brooklyn Commons. And uh, Laura and Jeff will be performing. And, and they've got a couple other stops, and I've, I posted it on my, my, face, uh, my Facebook page. So uh, look for Laura and Jeff. Uh, again, I... It'd be great if uh, I, I always I always like it when somebody from home ends up uh, in the city and stops by. So if uh, if you are in the area, then uh, stop by and see us. And you know, again, I want to thank the folks that I got uh, got a chance to meet up with uh, in Pittsburgh uh, this weekend. Uh, it was um, uh, it, it was an interesting interesting time, and I think we we shared some some good messages. So um, I want to thank Robert Rice for that, and uh, look forward to you know, catching back up with some of those folks again. Uh, for uh, for us, uh, we'll be back here on Saturday, and uh, and again, don't don't forget to look us up on Thursday in New York City on WBAI. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Thanks. Yawn. <laughs>